Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, what the heck does stay at home mean? Don't you know? Why are Ontarians having a hard time understanding what COVID-19 restrictions are? While you and I were at home with our immediate family and could not travel over the holidays, the Huawei CFO had her family fly in from China, disregarding all of the restrictions. How does that happen? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Some are confused about the province's stay-at-home order. What is so confusing about staying at home? Kind of like, stop talking in class! It's the Scott Thompson Home Show! Here's Scott Thompson! Ah, My wife says I'm deaf, but I could hear that. There's still uh, confusion, I guess, in and around the stay-at-home order. Uh, but again, after the news conference yesterday that the Premier held, it's uh, pretty simple. Stay at home. And, um, you know, obviously Ontario is a very versatile province. Uh, one sort of size does not fit all. But I thought this was uh, uh, quite a good way to, um, to to summarize or to to perhaps give you some criteria about what you can and cannot do. Uh, the Premier said something along the lines of ask yourself uh, if what you are wanting to do is an essential service. And if you don't, uh, if you don't know whether it's an essential service, uh, chances are if you're debating it and you're trying to decide, it is not an essential uh, travel. So, uh, you know, there you go. I had a, a, a gentleman send me an email. He's an ice fisherman, wants to go uh, ice fishing. Of course, you're in the middle of nowhere. You're ice fishing. Why can you not? He's doing it by himself, but he's got to travel to get there. He's got to drive to a lake. So, again, it's, you know, is it essential that you do that? Some may say, I guess, yes, for mental health. But on the other hand, you don't have to necessarily drive to a lake for that. So, uh, again, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a question that we have to look in the mirror and ask ourselves as opposed to <laughs> waiting for someone to tell us what to do because every situation is different. That being said, we'll talk about that, give you an update on all of this. Uh, also, some interesting news, fascinating news coming out of uh, Ottawa that while we were all locked down and couldn't travel anywhere over Christmas to even see our immediate family, uh, the Huawei CFO, Meng Wanzhou, uh, has her family come in to Vancouver and spend time with her at her Vancouver mansion and are exempt from any of the travel uh, restrictions that uh, we all had to endure. So why is it that the Huawei CFO got to see her family from another part of the world and we couldn't drive across town? to see our family. It is absolutely a bizarre story and uh, is very confusing in uh, what our stance is with uh, the Communist Party of China. We'll talk about that coming up a little later on. Also, more stats on how we're feeling with all of this. Uh, you know, do we need to tell you? Also, a uh, shuffling of some cabinet uh, members. We'll talk about that coming up a little later on. And, uh, of course, introduce you to another restaurant as we are doing. You know, we're thinking of expanding this, too, to beyond restaurants, to other uh, 
small retail outlets. So we'll talk about that uh, a little later on in the week. All right, uh, getting back to uh, the Ontario uh, stay-at-home order. Let's bring in Abigail uh, Beeman, Ottawa correspondent for Global News, and is with us now. Abigail, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for having me. So are we more confused or less confused today than we were yesterday? Uh, so far, I would put it at about the same confused, uh, depending who you ask. One of the big themes that emerged yesterday was, you know, you mentioned the Premier's comments that this really isn't confusing, that you need to stay at home. And if you have to ask yourself uh, whether you should stay at home, the answer is probably yes. We heard him go through all that. But then we also heard from many city officials who said, hey, we just don't have the answers here. We're waiting for the text to come from the province. We're waiting for, you know, the devil in the details, uh, the specifics on to, uh, to how to deal with this. And the, the question that underlies all of this is really enforcement. So, you know, the example that you gave about the, the man who wrote to you about ice fishing, well, I'm sure the concern underneath that is, am I going to get a ticket? Is somebody going to yeah. come and stop me for doing this? And we really pushed the province on that yesterday. Uh, and what he came back to us with was, it's really up to the local uh, authorities to make those yeah. decisions and the local officers. So they're telling us to go and ask, you know, the local police or the local uh, municipal leaders for, for the answers and those very leaders were saying to us yesterday we don't have them it's up to the province so that sort of sets the stage in terms of confusion then last night the province released the actual text of the regulation i I took a read of it Uh, i i'm not a legal expert but it does not appear to make anything clearer specifically around enforcement or some of the questions around you know what constitutes exercise i I was thinking about that in terms of the ice fishing does that count those things Uh, it doesn't Mm -hmm. really clear that up and so now we're waiting for the cities to come back to us and say, uh, okay, you know, people of, of this municipality, this is how we're going to, to handle it. But I think that everybody remembers back in the spring when some bylaw officers in some jurisdictions were handing out tickets that seemed to be uh, on the uh, ridiculous side for somebody walking through a park and, and stopping right. to, you know, that kind of thing. So that's, I think, what people are concerned about. And we really don't have a clear answer as to how bylaw or other police uh, are going to handle this in many cases in the end at the end of the day um i thought and you you repeated it as well the analogy if you have to ask yourself whether this essential is essential or not it probably isn't and you know and in regard to the man uh who wants to ice fish um you know he says it's a zen time he said this is my mental health break and you can completely understand that um i guess the question is is do you have to travel an hour two hours to your lake to do that so, well, uh, again, I, I can see a police officer asking someone the, this question and, and saying the same thing. Do you have to be doing this? And inevitably, the person will answer their own question. Right. And and that's, again, what it comes down to is what that police officer in that moment decides to do yeah. or decides how to interpret it or decides, you know, uh, their interpretation of, of whether that is essential. The, the premier did make the point, which is very true, that the, the situation really does differ across the province. He's had a mm-hmm. lot of uh, criticism for letting big box stores stay open uh, while small retailers uh, have to close. Uh, and what he said to that was, you know, people in northern Ontario don't have Amazon delivering stuff to their doorsteps in the same way that that 
people in the big bigger cities mm. do, and that that's a factor, and that's why they need those big box stores open. Uh, and uh, so he's he's been clear that it's not a one size fits all scenario, but it still leaves a lot of confusion on the table. One thing uh, public health experts that I've spoken to have been very clear on is the importance of outdoor activity for your mental health, and that's why yeah. we were really sort of ham- trying to hammer to get some answers on that exercise point and what falls in there uh, and what doesn't, and still waiting to hear whether uh, cities will keep parks and rinks and toboggan hills open. And the experts are, uh, that I've spoken to are, are in agreement that that doesn't pose a large risk as long as you know some measures are taken, like not huge groups and, and wearing masks if you're close together. Uh, but the experts agree that the underlying benefit of those activities uh, far outweighs the risk. So that's why people need to know the details as to uh, whether they can get a ticket if they if they go to an ice skating rink and you know the, the outdoor limit yeah. is five. So what if you're there with your uh, two kids, but then another household shows up that you don't even know and they're in the same vicinity. So those are things that, that people need uh, clarity on so that they can you know take those mental health breaks without living in fear of a ticket. Uh, same thing here. Local pond. First thing my son said this morning. Can I? Can we skate on the pond? Can we go skate on the pond? So yeah, you know, I hear you. Uh, what about, uh, you know, many have talked about curfews and, and lockdowns and such, how that affects uh, some segments of the population more than others. Uh, we should clarify, what's the situation regarding homeless and so on and so forth and these restrictions? That's a really good question, uh, and one of the experts uh, whom I interviewed yesterday was very concerned about that and brought up an example of a homeless client uh, of his who in the spring came and said, I just got an $800 ticket because I was on a bench. What do I do about that? So Ontario did make that point very clear in the legal text that they released last night saying that homeless people are not included under this stay-at-home uh, order. So, you know, the the experts are are hoping that trickles down to uh, authorities in the right way so that they're not in in that position. Uh, But uh, still still certainly some questions uh, around enforcement. Uh, Do you think as time goes on, we will see a a more clear guideline as far as examples as they come up? For example, somebody says, you know, they ask a a reporter asks uh, during a a news conference, you know, can we go here? Can we go there? Will you start to see, do you think, more of those things defined? You know, again, outdoor, outdoor recreation is a great example. Right. I, you know, I, I do think that the province is trying to really push this onto the municipalities for interpretation. So I imagine, although I really don't like to try and predict anything in news, but I imagine that it will be when we start to get those questions at local news conferences, once local authorities, and, and hopefully that's today for many people who have questions, once local, you know, cities and, and bylaw uh, make those decisions as to how that will ha- be handled in their jurisdiction. So as an example, in Ottawa, the National Capital Commission, which is responsible for the canal as well as a series of trails and other properties in in the area they came out and said the canal is going to stay open uh, and yeah. our trails are going to stay open sorry i shouldn't i should be very clear opened as of yet it is not cold enough they're also saying hey by the way don't go out there now it's totally unsafe but right. when the time is right we will open the canal uh, so that sort of answered one of those questions but I, I think we will have to wait and see depending where you live uh, what what cities are going to say and how they're going to respond to this and what they say about enforcement as well uh, and then we'll wait to see for that story for you know the person caught it walking in the park or whatever it may be I'm sure that those uh, that if they happen those stories will will come up and, and maybe Maybe it is a case-by-case basis, as you, as you say.
You know, that's another great example with skating on the Rideau Canal when that is possible, of course, due to weather, as you're saying. But, you know, you're thinking, my goodness, that's a great idea because it's so huge. I mean, you know, social distance, my goodness, that's easy. On the other hand, when it does get busy, it can get congested. So there's a fine line to walk. Right, or to skate, uh, if you'll pardon yeah. the, the pun. But uh, the, the city of Ottawa, I can speak to that just as a resident of the city of Ottawa, so separate from the canal, uh, the city of Ottawa recently instituted an online sign-up process for their city-run rinks for exactly that reason. They were saying, hey, rinks are a great idea until yeah. you get 100 people there because there's nothing else to do. So uh, we'll see. The canal's a, a bit more difficult to, to organize in that way, just given its uh, structure and layout. So we'll see if if that is uh, necessary or what happens there, again, in terms of enforcement. Uh, but uh, that's how uh, the city of Ottawa, as one example, tried to tackle that issue in terms of their uh, skating rinks. Uh, this is for 28 days. Uh, has there been any chatter of what will need to happen in order to stop it at 20 to, uh, 28 days or make it uh, be extended? And what I'm thinking of specifically is the family day weekend, I believe, is the weekend or right. two after this all comes to an end. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think that the honest answer is that everybody was so busy trying to process what this actually means yeah. and what's involved in it that nobody was quite ready to answer, well, when are you going to lift it? Because it was just uh, so much to, uh, to, to get to get your heads around, but I'm sure that question will be asked in the coming days. I, I don't know what the, the province is planning in terms of extensions, but I, I do know that they have been trying to follow the uh, case numbers when they make these decisions. So an example there is that uh, online school uh, ha- was extended for uh, schools in the hot zone regions of the province until February 10th, but they still haven't made a decision about online learning in the rest of the province, uh, which is uh, could expire as of the 20th. Third, and they're saying that they'll make a decision on that on the 20th. So that sounds like they're going to wait and see if the case number or what happens with the case numbers in, in all those other parts of the province and perhaps take a more regional approach. Uh, so we, we, we just have to wait and see in terms of this broader stay-at-home order, what they think, uh, wh- where the cases go and, and what they think that, that calls for. You know, just a, another example of how this is affecting some different than others, vice versa. Uh, an interesting caller, or sorry, uh, interesting question from a listener. What are the options for people who do not have access to the Internet? I mean, think of that. My goodness. We're talking about how this is uh, thankfully happened during a time of technology, but then there's lots that don't have that or have access to it. Well, for for sure, and that's one of the reasons or a main reason cited by Premier Ford in terms of why schools in the north were going to go back to school earlier than schools in the south because they don't have uh, the reliable internet and able to learn online. And within, you know, minute moments of that, uh, I saw multiple people commenting online that, hey, what about my rural area in this part of southern Ontario? We also don't have stable internet. This is also a problem for us. So certainly uh, the uh, lack of access to technology is an issue uh, and uh, so helpful when it works. But for those people who don't have it or who don't have it working reliably, it, it certainly uh, is a hindrance to, to living daily lives in this uh, situation. Abigail Beeman has been with us, Ottawa correspondent for Global News, uh, talking about uh, decoding the stay-at-home order and what it means to you and me. Abigail, thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thanks for having me. You too. Uh, it's, a, you know, I, I guess for some people it's more difficult to define than others. And, you know, again, it's not a, 
a certainly um, uh, or cut a car in, a cut and dry sort of situation uh, right now. So it's uh, here's a here's another question. Uh, I don't think it uh, I don't think it is so. Does that mean I should stay home? Doug Ford told us to decide if we think it is essential or not. So do I go to work tonight? Well, yes, you do. Um, you can go to you, you, one of the ex- or the exemptions are for your health. I uh, got to go to a doctor's appointment, uh, go out, things that you have to do, things that are essential. It's essential that you go to work. It's essential that you make your medical appointments. It's not necessarily essential. Um, and I'll use the example to go uh, ice fishing. I mean, you know, again, it's about staying away from each other and, and staying at home is, is obviously one of the best ways to do that. But essential services, food, uh, things that you have to go out and do, you, you do that, but you do that within the protocol. So obviously going to work, uh, food, groceries, uh, and essential things like that, medical appointments that you have to go to, uh, I was at the dentist the other day, had to do that. So yes, uh, those sorts of services are still available. The idea is they don't want you to come in contact with anybody. And if you're not sure of whether what you're talking about is essential, ask yourself the question, can I get away with not doing this? Uh, and, and again, every situation is different, so the onus is being put on us. It's interesting you hear some say that uh, this does not go far enough, there should be this, there should be that, and often the same people say, but none of this is enforceable. So <laughs> then why make it even more? Uh, again, I think what they're doing is they're, they're telling you to look in the mirror and only do essential things and ask yourself the question of what you're doing is essential. And only you can answer that question. Uh, those, those are, those are adult responsibilities, not ones where the government tells you what to do. You're listening to the Scott Thompson show podcast on 900 CHML. Uh, Keith sent me just, uh, just sent me this note as we were explaining this with, uh, Abigail in the last break, ask yourself the question you are asking others. Do you really need to go into the station today? News? I agree is essential, but I do not think your talk show is sorry. This is week number 44 of the Scott Thompson Home Show. I have not been in the radio station in over 44 weeks. I've been sitting in my little hole. <laughs> oh, there goes another FedEx driver. Um, you know, man. So, you know, and I'm going to talk about this with Alyssa Freeman, PR person. Uh, people don't listen. Or they listen, but they don't hear. Uh, and again, I've been saying the Scott Thompson, maybe this person's not a regular listener, I don't know, but I've been saying the Scott Thompson home show, and I think you all know with my kid doing the intros and the dog barking in the background, I'm not in the radio station. So if people are asking me if I really need to go into the radio station, are they ever going to understand a message to stay home from the premier? Are they going to understand any message? You know, I was listening today, uh, watching the news channels, and I'm watching an expert, a medical expert, talk about uh, how these restrictions don't go far enough. Then at the end of the sentence, the same person said that the ones that we do have are not enforceable. So if we can't enforce the ones we have, how, how do we need more? How are we going to enforce those? 
So it's like we're chasing our tail here. And you know what I think it is? We don't want to face the reality. We know the answer to these questions we're asking. You know the answer. There's a few exceptions that are foggy, but you know the answer. But you're not happy with that, and you're looking for a way out. And there's some that don't need to be told, go in the corner, sit on your rear end, and face, and face the wall. They get it on their own, but some don't. Hence the stay at home. At the end of the day, this is about staying away from each other. We can't be around each other. That's how it spreads. So we try to come up with restrictions and this and that to keep us apart. They don't work. So now it's simple. Stay at home. Unless you have to go out for an essential service. Do I have to, can I work? Yes, that's essential. Can I go to my doctor's appointment? Yes, that's essential. Can I go get something to eat? Yes, that's essential. Can I go out and goof around and hang with friends and, and do things? No. Can you stay, can you go exercise? Yes. Can you, you can be with people, I guess it's up to five outside, but again, it's, it, you gotta be apart. You can't be hanging out. You got can't be having a group hug. So again, is the message really confusing? Or is we just don't want to accept it? Let's bring in Alyssa Freeman, Alyssa PR. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. Didn't mean to talk so much. How are you? Oh my gosh, you had me on the floor with that person's comment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, about the that your show was not yeah. simple, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Keyboard warriors, yeah. Well, it's you know, I don't think I agree. The news, the, yeah. the news is more essential than this. But again, hopefully, we're we're encouraging wrong. debate, and that's wrong. good. We need this. We need this break. We need context. We need something different than the news. I actually find that, in, you know, among my friends, some of them are feeling more anxious now than they did at the beginning of the pandemic. Why do you and, think that is? Why do you think that you know, is? No, it's it's really interesting. I don't know. I think it's because. Numbers aren't necessarily going down. People aren't adhering to the simplest of protocols, i.e., don't go over to somebody else's house if they're not part of your family. You know, we keep seeing things on the news and through anecdotal reports that, you know, Joe Brown had his family over. He hadn't seen them. He just thought, well, it's Christmas, whatever. And now the cases are exploding. What a surprise. So really, yeah. these new restrictions, in my view, are aimed at the 30% of Ontarians that aren't listening, that aren't wearing their masks, that perhaps aren't following uh, social distance protocols, that are going over to people's houses. And I think that that's really the big culprit. I think the majority of us are, are trying our very best to do this. But now, you know, the premier gets on the TV and says, stay at home. He even says it in French, restez chez toi. And I'm like, really, Doug? And uh, <laughs> honestly, if you look at just sort of the the calamity of errors that has happened since the beginning of the pandemic that's come out of the provincial government, I think it's really hard for people to take this all seriously. And if you actually go through the document that they put out regarding this new edict, you know, I'm happy that people are staying at home. I'm happy that people are maybe like a little bit um, scared. But really, uh, if you want to go into work, um, there's several amendments in that document that say why and how you can go into work. Sorry, say that last half again? That there are several amendments that say if you have to go into work or you need to go into work, right, there's right, several right. amendments in there that, that say to you how you can do it. 
you you brought up an in Sorry, go ahead. I'm interrupting. No, no, go no, ahead. no, 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 no. So, ahead. you know, you brought up an interesting point where you said uh, this message is actually targeted to the 30 percent that didn't follow the protocol. And that's a very valid point, because, again, uh, I saw Dr. Bogash, Bogash, one of the uh, medical experts on TV the other day saying this is exactly what a post holiday surge looks like. And they mm-hmm. told us this would happen two weeks after Christmas and two weeks after uh, the holiday and, and, and New Year's and such so here's where we are now so is this people getting a dose of their own medicine for lack of a better phrase is this message more about tone than it is substance definitely i think you hit the nail on the head and i'm going to use that actually this is about tone versus substance because the substance isn't there not when uh mayor tory and one of the constables from uh, the toronto police service gets on and says you know, Premier Ford says, well, we're going to pull you over. Well, you know, the last time I heard, I didn't think the OPP had jurisdiction on, uh, with the exception of highways within the city. And even the constable says, look, we've got our, he says, we've got our direction from a press release and a slide deck. Now, those are withering words, Scott, which says to me and to everybody else sitting in their living rooms watching this, going, well, what's this all about? You know, you can't threaten that the cops are going to pull you over uh, for leaving your driveway when really, you know, Mayor Tory doesn't stand. Well, actually, didn't that. he say, no, didn't Doug Ford say, I don't want people thinking if they leave their house to go somewhere that the cops are going to pull them over outside of their driveway? I did hear him say that. Well, you know what? I think there's a lot of mixed messages, which yeah. is sort of plagued this administration from day one. And not only that are there mixed messages, Scott, but I mean, there's also the do as I say, not as I do-ism that's going on. So when you have your own ministers that are in St. Bart's and you know that they're in there, and then suddenly, you know, this news breaks in the last week of December, which you and I, you know, deal with the media. We know that uh, there's nothing going on usually in terms of news in the last week of December, which is why this dominated the airwaves, uh, Ron Miller dominated the airwaves. Uh, for practically a week. Uh, people are, yes, they have absolutely have COVID fatigue, and we can't blame them for that. But I think they all have, you know, political fatigue from yeah. uh, an administration, which I feel isn't really taking that great care of us, especially after I heard today, that they're not giving the second doses of the Pfizer vaccine, doing what Quebec is doing, taking science into their own hands, and just giving the first dose. So I don't know who they are. But I understand that's because they I understand that's because they have confirmed uh, that the second uh, another shipment is coming in at a certain time. And that's what they will be used for. Really, what you're doing is it's just a shell game. You're juggling things. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. there's only a dozen eggs in the package. You can put them here. You can put them there. But there's only a dozen to use. I agree. I absolutely but agree. But yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah. I totally agree yeah. with the, you know, I don't think we should be dabbling into the second dose, especially when the prescription from the doctor says, uh, wait 21 days, hold them back and give the, you know, give the second dose. But yeah, we're certainly seeing. Uh, but then again, you know, I mean, you know, Ontario holds back the second dose. Quebec, uh, BC, I believe, and Alberta just go ahead and give it all out. Their numbers of vaccination go way up. Then Ontario gets called out for being slow off the get-go, which everyone, including Ontario, was at the beginning. But that's a non-story now. So again, it's there's the balance of politics. Uh, Alberta obviously having a tough time. So it's like all of a sudden we're going to be the like the first few days. Alberta was injecting more people per capita than anyone. 
Mm-hmm. And and again, for the reasons that I just mentioned. So, you know, you hold back, you play by the rules, then all of a sudden you slide down the scale and you're not, it looks like you're not vaccinating enough people and everybody starts screaming that they're in fridges, which creates a whole other PR nightmare. I think that what's happening is, is that honestly, from a, a public relations point of view, and, and I'm sure that, you know, the Premier's communications office is dealing with this trial by fire, you know, every hour on the uh-huh. hour. So I obviously do have some sympathy for them because you know what that's like. And all you're trying to do is manage expectations, manage it the best way you can with the ability to at least show Ontarians that you, in effect, are trying to take care of them and doing the very best that you can. So, you know, there's a lot of things that we obviously don't hear about in terms of how you know decisions are made. Um, I, but you know what Ontarians do remember? They remember the things that go wrong. And, and that's like anything else, you yeah. know. You buy a product, you complain about it, but when something really works, do you put that on a message board? No, you don't. So, you know, we hear a lot about the negativity, you know, we and, and you say, Well, listen, you know, what's happened in December is 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 over. But, you know, I still remember when, you know, the government thought that, well, you were gonna let vaccinations take a Christmas vacation just like the rest of us. Some of those things, you know, when you have bad press, it's because you do it to yourself. Yeah, it's not often because you know the public does it to you, and then that becomes harder if you're managing communications for the premier because you're you're also fighting fires that you set for yourself. Um, I, I, can we can we just go around the uh, the world here in the last couple of minutes? Uh, I just want to get your impression of some of the things that are they're also making news uh, headlines today that uh, the Huawei CFO, well, we were all locked down and couldn't travel over the holiday, uh, had her family, her husband and two kids. Uh, essentially fly from China to Vancouver to stay uh, at her Vancouver mansion, did not have to abide by any of the restrictions or protocol that uh, everybody else had to uh, over the holidays. And this, of course, well, China-Canada relations dwither and the two Michaels uh, the same. What are your thoughts about this, and, and will this have legs? I have to tell you, I was so distraught when I saw that news item last night, Scott, that there's the Huawei CEO smiling, holding hands with her husband, um, apparently organizing a dinner party for 14. Who can do that? Like, who's yeah. doing that? Um, and then you have the R2 Michaels languishing in prison with little, if no, access to their families at all, though I hear that one of them was able to talk to his family over Christmas, with little uh, access to our consular staff. And yet, she's having a grand old time. Yeah. So, you know, obviously there's two sets of rules here, and we're playing by it. So I, I don't know the background of this. I don't know um, that when we, you know, let her have her family over, are we currying favor in order to try and get the two Michaels released? I don't know. But, I, you know, the optics, the optics of this are absolutely horrible. Uh, it's interesting trying to listen to officials um, uh, talk about this and, and justify this. Is this something that would have come across the prime minister's desk? He must have known about this. Um, I'd be really surprised if it doesn't. You know, things like this just don't happen. And all of a sudden he reads it in the newspaper like the rest of us do. So, of course, he did. Uh, of course, it came across his desk. But, you know, you've sort of got to pick your battles of what you're going to deal with and hope that something like this has a 24-hour news burn and then goes away. And I think that's basically the strategy here. This is what happened. People will be a little bit upset about it or a lot of, a lot of, a lot upset about it. And then it'll run its news course and then people will be on to the next.
We were talking to one of the pollsters uh, just after the holiday, and the attitude is uh, of Canadians towards the the Chinese Communist Party is just absolutely nosedived. I mean, there, and it'll be interesting to see if that helps government shape policy because Canadians have had enough of this. I think that they have, and um, I mean. You know, my heart bleeds for the two Michaels, and I'm sure that everybody who has even heard just a little bit of the story um, would feel the same way. But yes, you know, in, you know, in direct uh, juxtaposition, when you have the Huawei CEO and you watch how she's living in her designer clothes, in very expensive clothes, may I add, basically flaunting her tracking ankle bracelet like a yeah. piece of jewelry. And then you have these guys who are in uh, probably living in squalor. And who knows what mental state they'll be in uh, when and hopefully they finally get out. Uh, the juxtaposition of images and thoughts and speculation is profound. You know, that's another thing I've often thought about through this whole ordeal with the two Michaels is when they come out and the story that they will tell, how can that possibly po- uh, reflect positive, uh, positively for China? And is China not taking that into account? I don't think they care. I think that they're yeah. going to do what they do, and and they do, they do do what they do. And they look at them right now. I mean, are they poised to become the next superpower because of just the disarray uh, that's going on in the United States right now? I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I really think that they're looking at the world and the international situation and and looking for ways to capitalize on it. And showing any humanitarian response with respect to the two Michaels is not high on their priority list. So uh, you mentioned it. Uh, we've only got a couple of minutes left. Your thoughts about what is happening south of the border? Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, listen, he was impeached twice. Um, mm. it, it's absolute on the brink of, as far as I'm concerned, civil war, what's going on, um, insurrection. Uh, I think what the narrative is going on right now, that there was inside help. Um, and and that there were tours being given in the White House, which is odd that during a pandemic there would be tours being given in the White House. And the people that were on those tours the day before the um, the you know the the insurrection on the Capitol were actually members of these groups doing like floor planning mm, while they yeah. were going through. So, you know, there's a lot of accountability and a lot that has to be answered for right now. Um, whether we ever get to the bottom of it, uh, I don't know. Um, all I know is that I wonder if those 80, 80 million people who still voted for Trump absolutely feel the same way. We saw some people cross party lines, specifically Liz Cheney, who is a very high ranking Republican, and actually vote with their conscience and their morality that Trump should be impeached. Now, what happens at the Senate trial? And I'm sure there will be a trial because, you know, the Senate, all three chambers are now in Democratic hands. So I think that people are more worried about Trump making a comeback, and that's why the impeachment trial will probably have legs. But it's 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 quite distressing. Um, I for I for one will absolutely be watching the inauguration next week, and I think that people, a lot of people, are just hoping to turn the page. It'll be fascinating to see how the Republican Party comes back from this. If they can come back, I think they have to do a lot of work. But I think that there is a, you know, uh, there's a real and present danger that goes on with the Republican Party that kind of likes the way things are and have been going. And this is really what they have been hoping for in terms of how the United States should be and how it should look and how it should run. 
So I think that a lot of that runs deep through the Republican Party, and they have a long way to go to try and resurrect themselves, uh, change their narrative into what they used to stand for. Alyssa Freeman has been with us, PR and pop culture expert, Alyssa PR. Alyssa, as always, thank you so much for the time. Appreciate it. Uh, Be well. And you too, Scott. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I was at the station the day I went to the... Uh, the dentist. I had to go for an emergency dentist meeting because my tooth blew apart. So uh, on the way back from the dentist, I emailed one of our uh, engineers and I said, my headphone cord is busted. Yeah, I got my headphones, right? If I was there, I just take it in, they fix it. So uh, as I drove by, he threw a, a headphone cord out the door to me. That is, I, I'm deeming that essential. I need my headphone cord. Uh, anyway, but other than that, I haven't been in, uh, well, and I, I didn't actually go in. <laughs> I didn't get past the front door. My pass card doesn't even work anymore. Isn't that amazing? Like, my pass card doesn't even work. Like, only, like, people like Ted and Rick Zamper, and they are the only ones that can get in there. Tipple, those guys. The rest of us, get out! And, uh, you know, JC, the engineer, came down with a, in a hazmat suit, and, uh, these big long tongs, like you see Homer Simpson wear, or use, and, you know, the door, you know, hit the, he, you know, the door's locked, so he sits it at the door and then runs away and hits the opener, and it's just unbelievable maneuver, uh, just to get a new headphone cord, but working good now, I can hear everything you're saying. All right, let's move on. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, you can find the podcast edition of the commentary there as well. Uh, send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. The phone lines are always open, 905-645-3221, star 9900 on your cell. Uh, we call it COVID snap. That's when someone in the house just goes wacky because, you know, they break down because of what we're all going through. So I'm doing the last interview and all of a sudden I get a note on my text and, you know, it's just like driving. You shouldn't be operating your radio show and, and texting at the same time. And I have to look, and I happen to look over and, um, all I see is this is pathetic, and it's a, a, an email, uh, sorry, a text from my daughter that went out to my son and my wife and all of us here in the family, and she says, this is pathetic. Please be considerate of others in the household and do your part, and she's taken a picture of the milk bag. Uh, somebody uh, drained the milk bag with the exception of maybe a half inch at the bottom and then put it back in the fridge, and of course, she went out to get some milk and had to fill the whole thing up and just to get hers. So she's very upset about that in the house. Sorry, guilty as charged. My glass wouldn't hold anymore. That's the sort of things that are happening around the house when the Scott Thompson Home Show is on the air. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, let's move on. Uh, this is pretty disturbing, especially on a day where we're talking about lockdowns, uh, sorry, uh, stay-at-home orders in Ontario. The Premier, of course, saying stay at home uh, yesterday and clarifying all of that uh, in the day, uh, the day before yesterday and yesterday trying to clarify all of this. Uh, and here we have a, a scenario, and we remember what it was like over Christmas when everybody said, I'm sorry, that's it, like Easter and Thanksgiving, uh, you're going to have to stay within your immediate family. You can't go out and around. And the spikes that we're seeing now is a result of those that necessarily didn't follow protocol during the holidays. It's two weeks later. 
We're seeing that now. And of course, we all, you know, you can't go anywhere. You can't travel. We know the politicians that got, uh, that got reamed out for traveling, uh, all over the, the world, whether it's a beach or, uh, uh, the U.S. or Caribbean island or what have you. So while we're all in restrictions and, uh, travel restrictions and, 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 and stay at home lockdowns, whatever you want to call it over Christmas, over the holidays, the Huawei CFO, uh, her family was exempt from all of that, and the uh, her husband and two of the kids got to fly in. They're still here, by the way. Fly in from China and avoid the travel exemptions that, uh, uh, or avoid the travel restrictions that everybody had to adhere to. You and I, and 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 the family came over for for the holiday. Uh, we find out that, uh, her husband applied for exemption, uh, at the end of 2020 and arrived in October and the kids came in December. So while well, the two, uh, Michaels are rotting in a Chinese jail, uh, Meng Wanzhou sitting in her Vancouver mansion having dinner parties with 14 people or more. And the family's flying in from China simply void of any sort of restriction. What the heck is going on? Let's bring in Gordon Holden, director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta. He is with us now. Gordon, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am doing well. I'm facing the same lockdown provisions as everyone else in Canada, I suppose. But uh, yes, I'm well. Thank you. So considering we are all, you know, in the same boat from east to west, west to east and such, how do you think Canadians are going to react to this story that uh, the Huawei CFO got to have her family come over, seem to be void of all of these restrictions? Well, it won't be and hasn't been well received, and that's totally understandable. Um, if there was parity, it might be a different thing. If for the first time in, in two years, um, Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor's family were able to go to China and see their, their sons, their family members, um, I might have a different attitude because they desperately need and should be able to see their family. Um, but given that that's not the case, that the situations of their treatment are so radically different, uh, Canadians will be very upset, absolutely. And I understand the two Michaels have not had any sort of consular service other than December 14th and 15th. Well, it was suspended for a long time under the pretext of COVID. Now, um, from January to October, and then I believe it began with um, uh, virtual, which is better than nothing, and there are COVID concerns, of course, but that long gap without concert access was was terrible. And concert access is nothing particularly special. It means being in a in a room with uh, multiple Chinese guards, presence, translators, etc., so they know everything that passes. I've been in Chinese jails interviewing prisoners, um, Canadians when I was at the embassy and um, there would be someone whose whose ear was about, I'm not making this up, six inches from my mouth as I was speaking, making sure that everything I said could then be, and then I had to stop, it would be relayed in Chinese to the others who were present. So it's still not going to be a pleasant experience for, for the Michaels. It's certainly better than nothing. Uh, and uh, yes, those visits have restarted and that is a good thing. Uh, but what really needs to happen, of course, is for them to be released. But even if they could be moved to decent accommodations, let's call it um, house arrest, far less uh, luxurious than men among, but even some place where they could walk about, sit outside, get some sunshine, some exercise, and even have family visits, that would be the sort of equivalent. And get a lawyer. They're not even allowed a lawyer. Then we begin to get to a more balanced situation. 
So why, how, how does this happen? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. I noticed that uh, the husband, uh, Mr. Liu, testified in court, and I suspect that uh, they, I'm just speculating, uh, that the uh, Chinese side, perhaps among his lawyers, argued that uh, he needed to testify. Um, I'm not so sure that's essential testimony, because the things he testified about were that she was at some risk from her handlers, from her, from her uh, guards uh, that was catching COVID. I'm not sure his testimony was really all that necessary. Um, I think Canada, on some things, we don't have a lot of choice. The basic bail conditions, not saying about this visa thing, the bail conditions are set by the court, not by the government. So the fact that uh, she's allowed to move about with a rank bracelet, be able to go shopping, uh, even if it turns out go to a restaurant, that's set by the judge. But this this necessitated issues of visas by Canadian authorities and prior knowledge. And, and it's hard to find a rationale for that. Um, it will certainly be well received by the Chinese side, but I don't see the reciprocity as the problem. I mean, I would have no trouble with them coming, even with COVID. Presumably, if if uh, careful conditions were met, if um, the equivalent for the for the Michael COVID, Michael Spavor, who needed much more, were was being met, but the lack of reciprocity is very troubling. So again, you know, how often, how many times do we have to get up on our hind legs and beg and do this sort of thing and hope that it has some sort of meaning or carries some sort of weight and will help the two Michaels? It just seems we're dancing a lot. We're dancing a lot. And I don't think actually that the solution is going to lie in, um, in um, well, the solution is going to fall in one of two ways. Either the um, she's um, sent for extradition to the United States, the government of Canada, gives a pass on, on interrupting that. Like the Minister of Justice does have that last review before she's sent back. Or, and I think this may be more likely, the Americans cut some deal with China to involve dropping extradition um, requests. But there's still that still could be doing a long way off. We could be we could be in the same situation for a year or more or two. I really hate saying that for the sake of the families of the Michaels, but I don't think a a resolution is imminent. Uh, Even if the Biden administration recalibrates U.S. policy toward China and gets into some of the weeds, they've got dozens and dozens of issues. For us, for Canadians, this is issue number one. Uh, For U.S., understandably, perhaps, it's maybe one of 20 or 30 or 50 issues. I don't think they're going to get to it right away. So would the prime minister have known about this? I'm confident without knowing, and this is speculation on my part, that the Minister of Immigration knew I am confident the Prime Minister's office would know. I'm not qualified to know whether the Prime Minister himself knew, uh, but given the sensitivity of everything involves Madame Mung and the two Michaels, I would be surprised if the Privy Council and the Prime Minister's office were not aware. So it's one thing whether they should be here or not, uh, considering the the situation with the two Michaels and what has been going on. You add into that a global pandemic when everyone else is being told to stay home, clearly privilege here uh, and exempt from these restrictions. We're also hearing that uh, the Huawei CFO is having dinner parties with up to like 14 people. So uh, again, you know, the political dance with the Chinese Communist Party is one thing, but what about health and safety? And, you know, we're talking about protecting people and that are being incarcerated. This person's holding dinner parties. Well, certainly the same rules that apply to you and I and other Canadians. And, and Vancouver is 
hard hit as, as every large Canadian city. The, uh, I'm in BC at the moment, and I'm well aware of the uh, health restrictions. If they apply to the general public, they should certainly apply to someone who's out on bail. And uh, that ought to have been written in or it ought to be enforced for them as for anyone else, quite frankly. Um, and 14 people, I understand, may even have been in a private restaurant. So um, the problem is, I suppose, that, as you know, enforcement can be fairly spotty. Fines are not going to deter um, Huawei, CFO, given the vast resources of that, of that company. Uh, but, I mean, perhaps the threat of altering, of appealing to the court to change the bail conditions, if there are violations of that sort, might be a way to deal with it. But it's unacceptable, clearly. Um, any group that's breaking health regulations now puts all of us at risk, and it's just grossly unfair. Same as we saw the reaction of Canadian public to travel by politicians, uh, even where it's legal, and this would appear to, in their case, 14 people at a private restaurant would not be within the regulations, but even where it's allowed, any sense of, of privilege for some and not for others, uh, especially where it involves someone who's on bail, is going to be problematic in, the, in terms of the public. It, under roads, it, it erodes support for these measures amongst the public and makes people cynical. Um, from what we know, they are all still in Canada, the father and the two children. What are they doing here now? What is the husband doing here? What is, what is his provincial, or sorry, his professional ties? Um, is anyone aware of what his actions are while here? Well, I know that uh, Liu Xiaozong, as his name, testified at court. That's one thing he did. Um, but, um, I, of course, we're all in the era, uh, era of, um, remote working. Not a lot is known about her family. Um, I don't know precisely what he does. He may work with Huawei in some fashion. He could certainly work remotely from that large mansion in which she lives. Uh, her kids, I presume, could be um, homeschooled or taught from a distance. Uh, but um, um, surely he must remain at the minimum with uh, the family in one of their two residences. Um, uh, do we know that? Are they all staying? Do we know where they all are? They all staying in the same I mansion? Do we know? Into the larger of the two residences, which was being renovated earlier. It's only a couple doors down from the U.S. Mm-hmm. Consul General's residence in Vancouver. I believe they're there, and I can't see why they wouldn't all be in that very large home uh, right now. Um, and hopefully, subject to the same provisions, even if they've been broken already, uh, not being able to circulate freely and not then to except for essential travel, which, quite frankly, for someone of those means, I mean, anything to be delivered, it's sort of hard to imagine the need to go to a restaurant or even to go shopping for other than essentials. So um, does this help the two Michaels, the fact that we are allowing all of this to happen while holding our citizens down and in, in, to restrictions? Uh, obviously, this is a pretty sweet deal that she has. Um, does this help? Does this help the two Michaels? Well, I mean, it's, it's, I think the, the government has sort of hinted that, or at least they no, noted that they'd be able to resume concert access and improved family access. That just really means, I believe, able to receive letters and small packages, books, etc. Uh, if that's the case, that was the very small assistance, perhaps, if these two were indeed, these two things were indeed uh, linked, but they're still outrageously unequal. And Chinese prisons are not comfort zones, that's for sure. And uh, I would, um, I, I could not wait to get out of the prisons on the few times I was able to visit, even though I was there for a particular purpose. They're crowded. Uh, they are um, 
Um, they're noisy, they're tough, the food is as bad as you might imagine. I'm, I'm not saying they're being treated absolutely humanely by the standards of world's prisons, but these are just terrible places to be for two years, particularly mm. when you have not committed, by my view, any crime at all other than having been um, subject to um, a retaliation. So it's, uh, as a, none of this is going to help enough, though, to spring them, in my opinion. Um, I think China will never release them until Madame Meng's case has been resolved. And uh, that's a terrible thing to say, but I just can't imagine circumstances where they're going to get better treatment. On another no- uh, note, Gordon, uh, on another note, the World Health Organization has arrived in Wuhan to try to figure out, uh, probe into COVID-19's uh, origins and, and how it got to where it did. Are you confident that uh, this WHO team will find anything out? Well, it depends on the level of access they're being given. I mean, I don't doubt their technical abilities. And actually, quite frankly, I don't doubt the um, uh, capacity of the top Chinese scientists. They've got many of these people have been trained in abroad, many of them in, in, uh, in, in Canada. And quite frankly, China has first-class medical universities now itself. Um, so I, don't, I think some progress could be made. There's a couple problems. Though. One is um, this outbreak that supposedly took place at a, at a uh, food, uh, food market, outdoor food market, uh, a lot of that place will have been steam cleaned and multiple times and, and disinfected. If they have access to the right people and to the right samples from early cases of, of uh, what was thought to be pneumonia, etc., they're able to get full access. In other words, I think a lot can be learned, and I'm glad that they're there. Uh, but um, you know, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. We'll see what they're able to determine. Some things that China did were helpful, like releasing the sequencing of the virus very early, which allowed everybody to get a head start on producing a vaccine. Some things were unhelpful. Quite frankly, the things that were unhelpful tended to be the government and the party. The things that were helpful were, were being done by Chinese scientists. I've met many of them, and they're very good. Uh, but uh, we'll see what, what comes of that. I think it is important uh, to, to figure out where it came from, when it first was available, when the Chinese first knew. Uh, these are really important factors. We'll see what the results of the, uh, of the trip are. I'd like to see more uh, collaboration and trying to determine that um, and involving um, um, other other groups, not just this one trip. But again, it'll depend on the access, how much time, and how much of the original evidence is still available to them. I remember talking to a epidemiologist at the beginning of all of this when it first started, and we were talking about SARS and in in its comparison relation to to COVID nineteen, and and she said specifically how they could exactly trace where it came from, how bump ba 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 ba, and and I remember just being astounded by this, and and her reaction was, you know, isn't science great? So, uh, but her concern was, as you said, that a lot of this, you know, they're not going to let that happen twice. So do you, are you confident that we will actually find the origins? Uh, is it a case of it? We certainly know that the, the first outbreak was in and around that food market, but I've also heard, and you can maybe shed some light on this, that there was some chatter that it, it escaped somehow through uh, an employee or what have you of a nearby lab that then went to that food uh, market. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, it's, um, I think both theses are possible. Uh, we, we literally don't know. The, uh, there is a, one of the level four facilities, one of the top um, levels uh, of um, uh, virology institutes right in Wuhan, so it's always a possibility. I actually am optimistic in the fullness of time we will find out 
um, when and how uh, it was circulating. I think it was circulating probably quite a bit earlier. I was in Beijing during SARS where the government was completely opaque and actually lying through the media to the public for, for weeks and months. They eventually came clean, and that's when they really started to get serious about virology, established the Center for Disease Control, and started train, building hospitals and, and institutes of research at a tremendous pace. And the Chinese economy is like nine or ten times larger now than it was then. So they've got a lot of, of skills, and their scientists are very good. The problems come in when the party and the government uh, tends to suppress what they know. I think eventually we will find out what it was. And uh, as to whether it came from a lab, whether it came from um, uh, a source in the wildlife, very often these things come from southern China because they have a very complex ecosystem, a lot of wild animals, many of which are unfortunately consumed, and that's one of the vectors for um, for these um uh, viruses to emerge. Again, I'm not a scientist or a virologist, but uh, that searing experience of, of SARS when we had no expert um, uh, at the embassy and we had to deal with the reality of, of Canadians who were falling ill, uh, that was uh, a difficult time, which I remember very clearly. It, it was SARS was much deadlier, maybe eight, ten times more deadlier. So how will they, and we don't have much time here left here, Gordon, but how will China sell this if, in fact, like SARS, they are proven to be responsible for this? How will they sell that? Well, I think this, it's quite likely it did emerge in China. Uh, I think they will emphasize what they're going to do to produce vaccines and distribute them. They'll emphasize the positive in their state media and uh, and, and their, their broadcasts abroad. Uh, but um, they're have to own it in one sense. I don't blame them if it happened to emerge from wildlife somewhere and this was accidental, which is one real possibility. And the question of how they handled it from the out, did they suppress yeah. the information for long? There's the problem. All right, Gordon Holden has been with us, director of the China Institute, professor of political science, University of Alberta. Always uh, enlightening, Gordon. Thanks so much for the time. Be well. Thank you so much. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.